Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Play Politics. I'm Noah Niederhofer. I'm Jenny Tear. This is quite fun. Our first episode here. Uh, Jenny, why don't you uh, kind of explain to everybody, I think, why we decided that we needed something called polite politics. I think it seems pretty obvious to maybe to most people that, it, oh, polite <laughs> politics, that seems like something that we should take is obvious to most people. But for some reason, it doesn't really seem to exist. Why did you think we uh, we really needed to start something like this by ourselves? Right. I think the word polite speaks a lot of volumes. I mean, if you think about it, we are in such a um, you know, a heated world with politics and, and everyone's so divided. Um, and we see that a lot with actually what happened this week. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But, you know, Noah and I, we talked about this and, and we think that there should just be a place where people can hear kind of politics without the yelling, without, you know, I'm on this side and I'm standing my ground. We're very open people. I have very nuanced perspectives. I would say I'm conservative, but I definitely, you know, there are things about me that you'll learn that are not so conservative that I think. So um, we're really excited about this. I think it's going to be a great project for us. I am too. I consider myself to be more independent, conservative on some things, uh, leaning more to the left on some others. But I think most Americans are somewhere in that as well. I, I don't think most people fit into neat ideological boxes. And uh, certainly this week, I think, was a moment where we saw just how fractured mm. the country can right. be in a lot of different instances. This was not exactly a, <laughs> a week for civility, is is what I would say. You don't say. I think, Jenny, as, as we were talking about before the show, the coronavirus is still front and center. It's a huge global story. It has impacted Obviously, not just health and well-being, but politics, commerce, travel. There are so many different elements to this story, and it shows no signs of slowing down. I think we just don't know enough about it because it's coming from a country where there's no information. Everything is very um, tight-lipped from the Chinese Communist Party. Um, and and right now, we we are hearing that the death toll is 814 in China. And that's surpassed the SARS epidemic, which was in 2002 and 2003. So that's what we know or what we think right now based on, you know, several government agencies. But this is really something that we're not hearing much about from China. And they're not even letting American, you know, organizations go in and help and develop a vaccine. Well, it certainly is very troubling when we have, and we, we know how autocratic and we know how secretive China can be, certainly when it comes to state matters. And this is something that, as obviously they, they want to keep a really tight lid on, but it seems that it's going beyond their control. There was a, a really interesting New York Post story that, that I saw that you, had, that you had sent me that is really troubling. Why don't you let people know? Uh, what exactly this this new development is? Well, we're seeing that uh, several people who have, you know, blown the whistle on what's going on, that China's keeping everything very tight. Um, specifically, we have this lawyer um, who spoke in a YouTube video, and there's a couple reports. Um, the Jerusalem Post talked about it. CNN reported on it. Um, but now we don't know where this guy is. And he talked a lot about doctors having their phones taken away, people 
with symptoms, going to the hospitals, standing in lines, being turned away because there's not enough test kits, right? Um, there's not enough beds. People are sitting in their cars sometimes with an IV hanging from a tree. This is just crazy. Absolutely. And, and some of those stories, as you said, people being turned away and sent home with the flu when they very likely may have some kind of infection, some kind of contamination of the coronavirus, which then obviously leads potentially to more exposure for people. Really incredibly troubling development here. Mm -hmm. And this human rights lawyer, as you had said, I think one of the things that the people that are trying to get the word out are being punished. They are being arrested. They are being detained. This human rights lawyer is no exception, and the doctor who, I believe months ago, tried to warn people about the coronavirus uh, reports were uh, last this, this past week that he passed away from the coronavirus. The people that are trying to get the word out, the people that are trying to be transparent, the people that are trying to save lives mm-hmm. are right. apparently not heroes in the eyes of the Chinese Communist Party. Right. There's something they're hiding and there's something we don't know. And it's just it's really frightening. And I I just I pray for these people suffering from this um, terrible, terrible, you know, a virus. But um, I'm I'm worried this is something that could really become a huge epidemic for the world. Absolutely right. And, and obviously, if you look at a lot of American airlines, they mm. have canceled flights to China. Hong Kong, uh, Carrie Lam, under pressure, this was initially not the decision that Hong Kong's government wanted to make, but ultimately decided to detain and kind of quarantine people that had visited from mainland China, I believe, for 14 days, I believe, was the quarantine period uh, as they kind of tested people for exposure. So it really showcases, I think, the limits of of what we're comfortable with Mm, right we want to protect ourselves yes but also we don't want to turn our back on you know fellow people around the world but ultimately as you said jenny there's still so much that we don't know about the disease so in your opinion Mm -hmm. for u.s policy where do we go from here uh the president Uh, you know, just kind of to turn it to what the U.S. has done, has said that we will not take foreign nationals um, who have been to mainland China. I believe it it was, you know, in the period of a couple of weeks. Now we live in this era where people are coming um, back and forth via plane constantly. Um, So I think the West Coast is on high alert for sure. There's a lot of direct flights to and from China. um, And you know, I'm hoping we have the doctors here who are looking into it, but we have to be able to get in there, one, with our with our doctors, with health experts, and we also need to be able to get journalists in there. And I don't think there's enough journalists exposing this problem. Certainly right. And, and the human rights lawyer that you pointed to, he has apparently been taken or disappeared. There have been conflicting reports on exactly what's happened. Apparently, the uh, his family was told by officials, and we have to take these these you know with a grain of salt, right. is that he was exposed to the coronavirus and therefore was taken into quarantine. Now that doesn't jive exactly because people in quarantine typically are still allowed to use their cell phones, and the family said that he wasn't answering his phone, wasn't allowed access. You would have thought if the man was in quarantine that he would have made some kind of attempt 
to reach out. So some of those things about the official saying that he has the coronavirus and has been detained or at least placed in quarantine rings a little bit hollow to me. Right. As far as the Chinese are concerned, it seems unlikely to me that they're going to really allow a large journalistic presence there. Do you do you see that changing under pressure maybe from the U.S. or international community, or do you think China is going to try to go this alone? I think, unfortunately, they're going to try to go this alone, but I don't fully agree with you that this lawyer, um, you know, may be in quarantine or may not be, you know, based on what we're hearing. I, I think he did express a lot of concern that he was going to get coronavirus. And he said, you know, I, I'm worried. He was very scared. Um, you know, he even said he was just, um, you know, on high alert if he had any kind of symptom. I mean, you have to be. He's going into these hospitals with barely any gear, if any. Um, and we know there's a shortage of masks and full body suits that these doctors are wearing. And the test kits, yeah. And test kits. And of course, there's no vaccine once again. I will emphasize that. So that's going to be a huge problem. We also don't fully know the source. You know, they're saying this is from some market where they were serving things like bat soup, which just sounds crazy. And we know that's... I, I mean, thought you were going to say that sounds batty, but you know. That's <laughs> right. I mean... It, Sure, it's possible. I mean, these uh, a novel coronavirus could it comes from an animal um, and, it's, and it's transferred to humans. But there is also a bio facility in Wuhan that Senator Tom Cotton actually talked about. Um, and he, everyone, you know, is kind of quiet about that. But he's saying, why should we believe the Chinese government who's saying it came from this facility or from this, excuse me, from this food market, when we know there's this bio facility in Wuhan. Interesting. So, you know, was, was Cotton kind of implying that this was something that was created or perhaps an accident, maybe like a, a leak of some kind, something that got into water, some kind of contamination right. as opposed to something given to animal to human transmission? Right. I mean... Was this intentional from that facility? Was this, you know, something that leaked, like you said? Was it something from the facility to this market? I mean, I don't know enough about uh, coronavirus to say, um, but when it comes to anything coming from an animal, which if, if that's true, what China is saying, then they should be just open to anyone giving them some kind of a vaccine because there is none for that. There's no human immunity. I mean, we know that you you can't anything transferred from an animal like that. And humans have never experienced that. So it's if they really cared about their people, they would want us in there because we are trying to help them develop a vaccine. Well, at least, uh, you know, hopefully they they will allow and, and they obviously I, I'm, you know, just from what we've seen, heard there, there's obviously a deep mistrust of the United States there. Mm -hmm. However, I think at least allowing an organization like a World Health Organization or something right. to to really help people. We did sadly have, we believe, the, the first confirmed death of an American from the coronavirus that happened this past week. Awful. Um, so obviously our, our thoughts and prayers are, are with that, uh, that family. And, you know, it, it's an incredibly interesting situation i think it, it is one that i think the president you know has done quite well on it's not good 
for the country. This is wow, what a what a what a limb I'm going on saying that we should work together as people and and not just attack everything that people do. Right. But in that, we saw I think to to kind of transition, we have the fractured nature of the country right now. This was quite a week, Jenny, for political happenings. We had mm. Iowa early in the week, then we had the State of the Union, then we had the president acquitted on the two charges, then we had the debate in New Hampshire, and we have the primary in New Hampshire coming up on Tuesday. A lot of stuff going on. Uh, why, don't we, why don't we just kind of unpack it piece by piece? Let's start with Iowa. Jenny, in a word, how would you describe how that went for Democrats? It was a total clusterfuck. That's two words, Jenny. I'm sorry, but I had to use it because I think it perfectly encompasses the fact that we still don't know who won, what the outcome was. And I just think the whole system in general, what was going on there? I think the same people who are criticizing the Electoral College are playing like political Red Rover for different candidates, and I just don't understand. It has been so long since I've played Red Rover that I, <laughs> I, I need a quick I need a quick refresher course on that. But I, I, I totally agree, Jenny. I think this was a complete and total embarrassment for Democrats, and I think embarrassing has got to be the way that, that this is viewed. It's not good for any of the candidates because I think there's a lack of confidence in the vote. It's bad for the entire country because if you can't have confidence in what happens, then like you said, there's a lack of trust in whatever candidate government takes over anywhere if you just can't trust the ballot. So obviously that was bad. It was terrible for the DNC. Mm -hmm. And it was also a really bad week for Joe Biden. So he actually, I believe, uh, on the debate stage in New, in New Hampshire, and we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later, talked about his failure there. And pretty, I mean, the only people that I would say good week, it was a good week for Bernie Sanders. Buttigieg had a good week because he finished in the top two. It was a great week for the president. And this is just talking about the Iowa caucuses. It was a great week for the president right. on a number of fronts, but, right. but this specifically. Great for the president because then he got to, you know, needle them. And then the other person is Mike Bloomberg. If you're if you're an insurgent outsider candidate like like Mike is right now, and you're trying to go for a brokered convention and you can point to the dysfunction of the Democratic Party and you're kind of on the outside doing your own thing, you'd say, What I'm doing is so much better than what they're doing. Look at that clown car over there. And that's exactly what you said. Right. I mean, he has a lot of potential in this race um, and he kind of presents like the alternative to Trump that they are looking for. So he could be, you know, rising up as as their candidate. Um, another New York billionaire. Another New York billionaire. Uh, I am inundated, I will have to say, with advertisements for him every time I go on the Internet. It is nearly impossible to go on without seeing his face. You know, mini Mike, he's always there. So, <laughs> I love the nicknames. He's, I mean, the president The president has nicknames for darn near everyone. Um, one of the nice things I think about is kind of this, this thing about polite politics is that, you know, we bring to you and we, we try to have fun with this, you know, it, when we don't really, I think, go on the offensive, you know, against anybody. We're, we're just really trying to give you, I think, the state of play and how Republicans see things shaping up, how they see things, how Democrats see things. And then just to give you that that kind of state, you know, I'm certainly not trying to sell my politics, uh, you know, to anyone listening. Uh, I don't believe Jenny is either. 
but just to hopefully make you more informed and just give you something to talk about it and something to listen to that is just a nice kind of conversation that you feel like you're you're kind of here with us and we're just talking about the state of news today in the world. Iowa was such a bad look for for the Democratic Party. That really, as you said, Jenny, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's it's just awful. Mm-hmm. Do you think, in your opinion, Jenny, I know that a lot of people have been trying to change the way that the caucus system works and try to make it into more of a normal primary. Do you see that happening now? Do you see this as kind of ammunition to fuel that fire and finally get this changed? I think it should change. Um, I'm not sure if it will, uh, but it seems like this was due to a technical error with some kind of algorithm um, with this company that ran uh, ran the count here. And I think uh, Mitch McConnell even said, you know, the Democrats can't even count votes anymore. I mean, this is just, it's so crazy. And going off the earlier point about, about this um, algorithm issue is that the same, or coding issue, um, the same people, these Democrats who are telling coal workers in West Virginia that you need to learn to code in order to, you know, to adapt new industry, to, you know, make the world a greener place, right? They're telling them to learn to code. I mean, they can't even code. Well, mistakes happen. We do know that. Uh, so uh, while I want right. to obviously give just the benefit of the doubt is that mistakes do happen. This was a massive mistake. Do you think we'll ever know, though, what the result was? The DNC will have to investigate this and deliver some kind of report. I think it'll take a long time, probably while we're well into the primary season so that Iowa's far behind them. Mm-hmm. But I think they'll have some kind of announcement that they're saying, we're going to launch an investigation. We're going to get to the bottom of this. We want to deliver transparency to you, the voters. But it's hard not to have some kind of loss of faith, at least, in the Democratic Party's ability to do many things. And as right. you, you mentioned about Mitch McConnell, it's just too easy. It is incredible that the Democrats do seem to keep shooting themselves in the foot at every opportunity. I feel like a lot of Democratic voters, at least, that I've talked to, it's they're they're dismayed and and demoralized mm-hmm. by the inability of their own party to to operate i would say in maybe an organized way and certainly we see there are still fractures within the party in terms of the bernie sanders elizabeth warren wing and then the more moderate areas of the party with pete and uh, mayor pete and joe biden so this is by no means over and i'm sure sadly for democratic listeners out there that the Democratic Party will have many more opportunities to embarrass themselves. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to, to Tuesday. We had the State of the Union. Again, I think State of the Unions are great opportunities for for President Trump, and and he has done, I think, quite well at them. Uh, to take a, a you know, I, I think he presented a view that was more optimistic and and did champion the economy, an area that he has done incredibly well. And the economy continues to do well, which is huge for him in election year. Jenny, what did you think of the State of the Union? I think you're absolutely right. I think he championed the success of the country. He did not acknowledge impeachment. He did not get partisan. These were things that we should all be applauding. Like you said, the success of the economy, incredible. He called it a blue-collar boom. Um, The only thing I would say, and, you know, even as a conservative— I know that we had the Pelosi, you know, speech rip at the end, but 
you know, there was a moment that many reporters captured and, and it was circulating Twitter before where Trump comes in, he shakes the vice president's hand, he shakes the House Speaker's hand, and he just kind of snubbed that handshake, which I didn't agree with. You know, I think we can put our differences aside for that moment. And and like we criticized Pelosi for, for ripping up the speech at the end, I think that that wasn't a great way to start things off, but the speech itself was was definitely something we should all rally around. Absolutely. One of the one of the things I love about State of the Union is that I think it's a wonderful opportunity to remind everybody that we're all on the same team, that the state of our union is strong every year, right. that this crazy experiment that the founders underwent to basically declare independence from the world's greatest superpower at the time, and then we, we won this war and then formed this amazing country, and we're still around. And so it, it's a, it allows us to kind of mark not just obviously you know July 4th, which is a wonderful day in and of itself, but the ability to mark in front of the American people a huge speech that says, you know what, this is really great and, and our country is, is still strong and still here. But it's also because we are all on the same team, Team America. And so I think that's really one of the great things about the State of the Union. I wish more people took that to heart is that we're all on the same team here. So for that reason, I didn't really understand why Nancy Pelosi decided that she was going to rip that speech up. And I'm not really sure who that was for. You know, was that for supporters? Do people want to see uh, the president's speech, which I, it didn't impact the speech. It was just a viral moment for her, but I think it backfired. If, if I don't know who was the cheerleading section on that that said, yay, good for good for Nancy. This is good for America. Oh, yeah, that, that'll show him. I'm not really sure what impact, if any, it had. Right. What do her constituents think of this? I, that would be interesting to look into because, I mean, I'm sure those who were, you know, wearing white and who sat most of the time, you know, just slammed President Trump for bringing people like Rush Limbaugh and honoring him. Those are probably the people that are applauding it, but are her constituents, um, are the American people behind that? I don't think so. I think that's something that, that people should um, should maybe ask. Maybe someone should go in her district and, and talk to folks. Moderates and independents, I just don't see them applauding a move like that, it just doesn't seem to make much sense that ripping up a president's speech during a State of the Union that you have a copy of, I, I just, I like you said, I don't think that plays well at all. It's just a bad look, especially during a speech in a moment where the country is, is trying to show unity. I think State of the Unions are oftentimes great moments for presidents, and I think President Trump handled his very well. Then the National Prayer Breakfast happened where I think he took shots at, at people and and punch down, which right. again, I think is a little bit, uh, a little bit, I think it's very beneath the office of the presidency, especially so at a national prayer breakfast. Hmm. But these, these kinds of things have become the norm as opposed to the exception, but that is his style. And I think he stayed true to himself for whatever you think about the president. He is very much his own man and he does what he thinks is best and National Prayer Breakfast offered him, obviously, another televised opportunity because he knows that it always gets a lot of coverage. So right. moving on from that, the State of the Union, then we had the acquittal of the president. Now, Jenny, it seemed to be almost a guarantee from a certain point. We knew when he was going to be impeached, when the momentum started building, 
and we knew once he was impeached, it would go to the Senate, and it seemed like we knew almost for certain he was going to be acquitted of those charges. He was acquitted on both of those charges. We did have Mitt Romney voting to convict the president, which was a bit of a shocker and obviously got him a lot of backlash from the president and some of his supporters and got him a, a disinvite uh, after he voted to hear witnesses, not just voting uh, to convict the president. So he was disinvited from CPAC, which I thought was a, a little petty on, on that. I, I still think of Mitt Romney very much as a conservative, uh, even though he makes votes that you don't like sometimes. I, I think he's still very much a conservative, and he votes with the president still on a, on a vast majority of the issues. So, Jenny, as far as the acquittal, again, pretty much something that we knew was coming. Can we say that this has been put to bed? Obviously, we've, we've seen uh, that the president has, you know, some people would say, retaliated against some people who have uh, testified against him. Is this behind us now? It's never going to be behind us. I mean, they're always going to find something to work against the president, um, and they're, they're going to you know, work until he's out of office. I think it's it's something we should all celebrate because this has just been such a political show for the Democrats. And it wasn't for sure in the Senate. We did have swing votes that we um, were following up until the very last minute. And um, but it's really it's really been another win for the president this week. You're absolutely right. This was a win for the president, obviously being acquitted of, of the charges and not being removed from office. Certainly, certainly a win. In terms of the show that you mentioned, now that it's over, at least as far as the official impeachment and acquittal process, Americans didn't really seem to move the needle. His approval rating didn't really go down very much. Is that because the Democrats did not effectively make their case to the American people, do you think? Or, or do you I, think I they didn't have a case at all to begin with? I, I don't even think it's that. I think right now, given what we heard at the State of the Union and the new jobs numbers from January, mm -hmm. I mean, people are excited. They are happy. They're getting, you know, money back um, from the government. Um, they are employed. Um you know they're able to support their families that's what people really care about for some for some that that might note that the unemployment rate went up slightly i believe 3.6 now from 3.5 the numbers or at least the bureau of labor statistics has indicated that's because more people are now looking for work than were before sometimes when people stop looking for jobs after a certain point they drop off the rolls right. so that that can help the numbers but this is a case where it's almost it's a very good thing that the employ the unemployment rate went up slightly in order for you know more people are looking for jobs and that's that's a good thing we want more people looking for gainful employment in, in the workforce going back to the whole process was this a good thing to do even though the democrats knew that they would likely lose is it good to send a message to say if you try to hold up funding for another country or do something like that in order to gain, you know, they say dirt on a political opponent, a potential political opponent or a real one. Is it good to send the kind of message that that behavior is not really allowed? It, it may be not a crime, no. but certainly not allowed. Not at all. I mean, what is wrong with holding your foreign allies accountable when you're giving them U.S. tax dollars as aid. I mean, the American people should want accountability. 
Um, we know there's corruption in Ukraine and, and we we know that, you know, Hunter Biden and was, you know, working for Burisma while his father was doing Ukraine affairs for the Obama administration. I mean, this is something that's a really big issue. And, and you would hope that Joe Biden would even encourage this, too, if there's nothing to find here. I don't think Joe Biden will encourage investigations of, of his family, although I, I think you're right. He will have to do a better job of answering those questions as we get further into the primary. Right. The thing that I look at more from an independent observer is that while the president certainly is allowed to withhold aid for a number of reasons, it does seem a little odd that he wanted this information on the Bidens in return. It seemed like he was really gung-ho on that. There were a number of changes perhaps that could have been made, mm. but if the president really wanted to clean up corruption, weren't there other ways, perhaps better, more efficient ways to go about it? You mentioned that, you know, it was in return for uh, for the aid, but, you know, we know that, that the president, you know, lifted the hold on lethal aid to Ukraine you know, there wasn't an investigation. So I, I don't think that's necessarily, it was not quid pro quo. You're, so that's that's a great point that you make, Jenny, there, is that the aid did go to Ukraine after a while. It wasn't, you know, we, we didn't hold on to it. So you're absolutely right. The aid did eventually flow to Ukraine, uh, but, but there was the ask. And, and I think that's maybe more what I was getting at. So I, I appreciate you kind of clarifying that sure. for, for our audiences, really, is that, you know, is the ask inappropriate? In my mind, it feels inappropriate, but in also in my mind, it certainly didn't rise to the level of impeachment. Sure. Uh, certainly to, I don't think, remove a president from office. The messaging from the, the Trump administration and his allies that this was all to try to rehash the 2016 election, I think was a very effective message for the Republicans. And it did seem that up until the witness vote, really, I think we're, we're pretty much in lockstep. And I think it was very strong. Uh, Lamar Alexander and, and Senator uh, Murkowski were really the, the two. They needed one of the two. And then I think that would have forced a tie that Chief, you know, whew, Chief Justice John Roberts you know, has had some, some tough votes in his, in his career. That would have been an incredibly interesting vote had it been a 50-50 tie that he would have had to break to allow witnesses. So moving on from the acquittal process, now that that is kind of now over, we have the New Hampshire debate, which uh, we had Bernie Sanders definitely treated as the front runner. A lot of people uh, trying to come at him and Mayor Pete. Who needs this more? Because Bernie obviously now surging into the lead as the front runner. Right. Biden may be falling back a little bit and, and is maybe this is him trying to get out ahead of expectations to try to cushion the blow when he doesn't do well in New Hampshire. Right. Well, uh, first of all, I just want to let you know that the debate I took a mental health day from. So I did not Good watch for you. the debate. Um, we could all use some mental health days. We I could think, all as a use mental health days from these Democrat debates from impeachment. Let's all just take a day this week. Meditate on that. When it comes to these these candidates who are who are needing uh, to push themselves forward more, I think, like you said, we have um, Buttigieg on the rise. We have Mike Bloomberg, who we'll start to see a little bit more of. Um, we have Bernie Sanders. I think that means that Warren and Biden really have to work harder on this and. Um, they're kind of losing grip right now. So 
even though I did not watch the debate, that is my take on it from what you've described and 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 just the highlights I've seen, you know, on Twitter and all that and and where they are in the polls right now. I I think that's a great kind of take on it. I think obviously Mayor Pete would love another big finish in New Hampshire to continue the momentum that he has. I think Bernie Sanders will do well and I think he'll continue to do well. Biden needs it, but he won't do well I don't think in New Hampshire. I think you're absolutely right. I think Warren needs a big showing in New Hampshire to kind of stem the tide because otherwise it feels like she's on the verge of being then the fourth in the major four because Biden has South Carolina that he can rely on, perhaps Nevada, and big, big performance in in Super Tuesday. I just Mm -hmm. don't see Warren outperforming them because once Super Tuesday arrives, Mike Bloomberg becomes a huge factor in this race and he is going to pick up mini mike becomes huge (laughs) that should that (laughs) look free advice here from from jenny taylor about uh your headlines on the uh, on wednesday uh after super tuesday mini mike becomes huge let's finish with something a little more uplifting that can also be somewhat upsetting to many americans which is the oscars uh, because we've seen sometimes a lot of these award shows have become politicized i think there is two sides to that one i'm not getting an award so i i don't have the luxury of having the time in front of a nationally televised audience to say whatever it is that i want to say mm. and thank whoever it is that i want to thank or promote whatever charity work or causes are important to me i think what a lot of americans don't appreciate is that they you know people that are celebrities actors will get up there and then it rings hollow when they talk about environmental impact and as many people pointed out the golden globes that they take private jets to film festivals and they do all of these things that are quite wasteful and indulgent and the companies that they work for operate in countries and and do business with people that are human rights abusers while they while on the one hand they talk about stemming human rights abuses or the abuses of of the president as as there is obviously a very significant liberal uh culture and, and core of Hollywood. There's again, they don't. They are not going to have a host uh, this year, which I think will probably be best for wow. the production. Will help them get it in on time because Is that's that really because Ricky Gervais was so triggering at the last award show. I think he's great at the Globes. I, I think he's must watch. Not and not every joke lands, but he's very very funny and he. He doesn't care, and I think that's one of the the great things about a comedian is when you go out there with no fear, and you're out there, and and these are some of the people that employ you and can get you hired and get get you jobs, and he just goes out there and rips them for seven eight minutes in a monologue, mm-hmm. and and he's right, and and I think that's one of the great things about comedy is that there's truth in in comedy, and so by holding a mirror kind of up to the people that he's roasting. Hopefully, we'll we'll be able to either make them see, I don't want to say the error of their ways, but maybe the hypocrisy. <laughs> the hypocrisy, certainly, I think, was on full display for a lot of Americans to see. And I think that was really, really great doing that in front of the Golden Globes, which, of course, is not the Academy. That is the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. So I will then put this to you, Jenny. Yep. What were some of the your uh, the favorite movies that you watched this past year for the uh, for the Oscars? Obviously, a lot of different movies. Uh, a lot of different awards you know we'll, we'll kind of break down some of some just our our favorite performances we won't i won't necessarily sure. try to pick winners unless you want to 
Okay, so something that I have to admit to you is that I have not seen any of these movies this year because I'm a very strange person. I watch a a lot of Netflix, but mostly documentaries. I have this weird thing that I don't like watching non... I don't like watching fiction. So I did not see any of these movies. And I know we had huge uh, films out this year. We had Parasite, we had Joker, uh, The Irishman. I, I... I have to admit to you, I didn't see any of these films. Um, And you know what? I don't feel any kind of FOMO, fear of missing out. Um, So I don't know. Did you see any of them? (laughs) I I did see a number of of the the films. For for Best Picture, we have 1917. Uh, Sam Mendes was the the director. I, I think it's an incredible film. It's incredible in terms of cinematography, it's this a I good, did hear it's a, about. It's a really great right. movie. It's a lot of really good things. I think it is it is definitely, as we go into the Oscars, the front one are to win Best Picture. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't win Best Picture, I wouldn't be upset as long as Parasite is the one that wins. So I have uh, Joker, very controversial movie. The media, as is wont to do, got hysterical and said, this movie is going to make people go crazy and anarchy and they're going to do joker stuff and there's going to be violence and they were as i said before completely wrong on that and so the hysteria behind the movie i think was better marketing than the movie ever could have done it made everybody want to go see this movie and, and many of them did it was a hugely successful movie quentin tarantino once upon a time in hollywood basically his love of the the 70s and it's been quite a year for Marco Robbie. Uh, she uh, she just did Birds of Prey, which which came out this past weekend. Probably going to win the box office there. Parasite, foreign film. It's going to win Best International. Did you film. see Parasite? I did and loved it. I actually really? saw it with my family on Thanksgiving uh, when I was home in Atlanta. Wow. And so I think there's going to be perhaps some kind of combination of either 1917 or Parasite for the Best Director, Best Picture category. My hope is that Parasite wins because I think that would be a really cool message for foreign films that there's a lot of great cinema out in the world today, and I think it would validate Parasite as a wonderful movie, not just an international film. And then I would say definitely I would love for Sam Mendes to win Best Director for 1917. The Irishman, as you noted, uh, Netflix uh, is Martin Scorsese. Uh, Little Women uh, was a uh, Greta Gerwig uh, has Saoirse Ronan, as well as many other people. Jojo Rabbit, Taika Waititi, who many people know from Thor Ragnarok, does some wonderful work. And uh, Marriage Story, I believe, is also another uh, Netflix one that had Adam Driver, who, uh, who some people know from Girls and the Star Wars films. This uh, this new... Yawn. Literally the new, yawn. The new trilogy. The new, <laughs> I'll say the newest trilogy of Star Wars films. So Adam Driver, an Oscar nominee, for Best Actor, he is up there with Jonathan Price, Antonio Banderas, Joaquin Phoenix, and Leonardo DiCaprio. I think Joaquin Phoenix will probably win. I think his his performance as as Joker for Best Actor for probably I think I think he will win. Now that that sets up pretty interesting potential speech because that speech could go anywhere. Who it's Ooh. anybody's guess. It's anybody's now guess where, where that where that might go. For Best Supporting Actor, we have Anthony Hopkins. Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We have a couple of people in The Irishman, Joe Pesci and Al Pacino, and Tom Hanks 
for a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I think the sentimentality of, of Mr. Rogers and a beautiful day in the neighborhood, I could see Tom Hanks walking away with, with the Oscar. And I think that would be a really positive message for Best Actress. This is a really tough one. We have Charlize Theron, who is in Bombshell, obviously a story about Fox News and Roger Ailes. Renee Zellweger was in Judy. Cynthia Erivo. Scarlett Johansson was in Marriage Story and Saoirse Ronan for Little Women. That one, I have real trouble picking who's going to win this one. Uh-huh. Maybe Saoirse Ronan, I think. But you know, Charlize Theron was also pretty great. I, I had not had the chance yet to see Bombshell. But a, a great performance from everything that I've heard. Now, Scarlett Johansson is not only nominated for Best Actress for Marriage Story, she is also nominated for Best Supporting Actress in Jojo Rabbit. She is alongside Margot Robbie, uh, who is in Bombshell as well, Kathy Bates, Florence Pugh, who is in Little Women, and Laura Dern, who is in Marriage Story. And then, of course, as I said before, the Best Directors, you got your Tarantino's, your Todd Phillips, your Bong Joon-ho's, your Martin Scorsese's, and your Sam Mendez's. So I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens at the Oscars while at the same time realizing that a lot of Americans don't really care too much, but I'm a I huge movie I'm fan. I think I'm a lot of Americans then. I am a huge movie fan. <laughs> so I will say this because I wake up incredibly early in the morning. I will not be watching the Oscars. I will <laughs> be looking to see who won, but uh, certainly hoping that, that 1917 and, and Bong Joon-ho and Parasite do quite well. Jenny, obviously, let's let's just go into final thoughts here. Crazy week in politics that we just had and Woof. and a... A interesting week, obviously, to come, but certainly not as packed a calendar. Well, right. we just have New Hampshire primaries, pretty much the big day that we're looking for here is, is coming into this week. So any final thoughts on the week that we just had and on the week to come? I am going to be leading a community meditation um, for everyone just needing a break. And that's my thought. For the upcoming week, for the past week, for the upcoming election, we should all download you know whatever meditation app you need i am totally into that stuff i'm crazy i'm weird i know but everyone just needs to take a moment relax maybe skip a debate or two of it, like i did it really helped actually it was a great mental health day there's going to be some some exciting stuff this week and we'll obviously recap that again next week really excited for that great idea there jenny on just as far as taking a mental health day i think we could all use one to 11 of them uh you know every every <laughs> month there's certainly no end to to the mental health that uh, that we need sometimes it's good to take a step away very interesting to see what happens in new hampshire for the primary as far as as the week to come but Ultimately, it's just the second primary in a very long race, and I think it's very important that we look at it as such. It's just a step in the process, and I know that the media is going to try to make huge headlines. It's going to be like, oh, this person's up, this person's down. What we're going to find is that, again, we'll let the process play out, but Mike Bloomberg, I think, certainly has to like where he is at least one one of the contests through and i think he'll like where he is once we get past contest number two crazy week that we just had i'm i'm really glad it's over i have to say that i think <sighs> having having iowa which technically isn't really fully fully resolved but the state of the union again i thought was this was just in final thoughts i thought a very good week for the president and 
you know, we'll see if he can build on the momentum because I, I think obviously with the acquittal in the State of the Union, he doesn't have big speeches like that coming up unless he does televised rallies. But interesting to see how he builds off of this coming into next week. Let's go. Another week in Washington, another week across the country. No Niederhofer again. Thank you so much for joining us on Plight Politics. Thank you, guys. Jenny Terre, I'm signing us out. Boom. <laughs>